Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. In this episode, before we dive into the first part of the book, we will be reading St. Francis de Sales' dedicatory prayer found on page 9 and the preface found on pages 11 through 16 of Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life. Author's Dedicatory Prayer O sweet Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, and my God, behold, I lie prostrate before your majesty, devoting and consecrating this work to your glory. Enliven its words by your blessing, so that the souls for whom I have written this work may receive from it the sacred inspirations that I desire that they obtain. In particular, that they be led to implore you to send down upon me your infinite mercy, so that while I show others the way of devotion in this world, I may not be eternally rejected and brought to ruin in the next, but rather that with them I may forever sing in a triumphant song the words that I pronounce with all my heart in testimony to my fidelity amid the various fortunes of this mortal life. May Jesus live. May Jesus live. Yes, O Lord Jesus, live and reign in our hearts for ages unending. Amen. Francis de Sales. Author's Preface My dear reader, I beseech you to read this preface both for your satisfaction as well as for my own. The flower girl Glycera was so skilled at creating assortments from the various flowers that she had at her disposal that she knew how to fashion from one and the same set of flowers a great variety of hand bouquets. Thus, when the painter Pausias tried to emulate her skill, he failed to do so, for he could not vary his painting as much as Glycera did her little arrangements. In like manner, the Holy Spirit disposes and arranges with so much variety the instructions and devotion that he gives us upon the tongues and pens of his servants, so that even though the doctrines are always the same, the treatises fashioned from them are very different according to the various ways that they are crafted. I certainly neither can, nor wish, nor ought to write, in this introduction to the devout life, anything other than what has already been published by those who have written before me on this subject. The flowers that I offer you here are the same as theirs. However, the little bouquet that I have fashioned from them is different, for I have changed its arrangement somewhat. Nearly all of those who have treated devotion before now have had in mind the instruction of people who are wholly removed from life in the world or at least have taught a kind of devotion leading to this kind of life. My intention, however, is to instruct men and women who live in towns, among their families, or at court, and who, because of the conditions of their life, are required to lead, as regards its externals, an ordinary life in the world. Such people often will not even consider the question of living the devout life on the pretext that it is supposedly impossible in their circumstances. 
For in their opinion, just as no beast dares to taste the seed of the castor oil plant, which is also known as the palma Christi, so too no man should aspire to the palm of Christian piety as long as he lives in the hustle and bustle of temporal affairs. Now I shall show them that just as the mother of pearl fish lives in the sea without taking in a drop of salt water, and as there are near the Caledonian island springs of fresh water in the midst of the sea, and as fireflies fly in the flames without singeing their wings, so too a strong and steadfast soul can live in the midst of the world without imbibing any worldly spirit, can find springs of sweet piety in the midst of the salt waters of this age, and can fly amid the flames of earthly lusts without burning the wings of the holy desires of the devout life. It is true that this is difficult, and therefore I could wish that many strive to live such a life with more ardor than has been done up to this point. And I, weak as I am, will strive in this treatise to provide some help for those who shall take up so worthy an enterprise with a generous heart. However, it is not altogether by my own choice or inclination that this introduction is being made public. A soul who is truly full of honor and virtue, having some time ago received from God grace to desire to lead the devout life, requested my special assistance in helping her grow in such devotion. And I, having many ties of duty towards her and having long noted her strong character for taking up this way of life, worked with great earnest to instruct her well in its details. After leading her through all the exercises suited to her aims and condition of life, I left her with written notes that she could consult as she felt necessary. She later shared these writings with a famous, learned, and devout religious who judged that others might derive profit from them and therefore earnestly exhorted me to make them public. It was not difficult for him to persuade me, for his friendship held great sway over my will and his judgment great weight with mine. Now, in order for this whole work to be more useful and agreeable, I have revised it and given it clearer ordering, adding several directions and instructions that help to further my original intentions. However, I have done all this with barely any time at hand, so you will find here nothing like an exact treatise, but rather only a collection of well-intentioned directions which I have delivered, or at least have desired to do so, in plain and intelligible language. And as regards stylistic ornamentation, I have been far too busy to pay any mind to such things. My words in this work are addressed to Philothea, for I desired to accommodate this text, which I originally wrote for one person, for general use by many souls. In this case, it is fitting that I make use of a name shared by all who aspire to devotion, for Philothea means one who loves God. Therefore, keeping in mind throughout the whole work a soul who, through the desire of devotion, aspires to the love of God, I have divided this introduction into five parts. In the first, I strive by means of exhortations and exercises to convert the simple desire of Philothea into a settled resolution. She expresses this after making a general confession, firmly professing her intention to live the devout life. This is followed by Holy Communion, in which, giving herself to her Savior and receiving Him, she enters happily into His holy love. Following this, in order to lead her onward, I show her two great means for uniting herself to His divine majesty with ever-increasing devotion, the use of the sacraments, by which this good God comes to us, and prayer, by which He draws us to Himself. These are the topics that I take up in the second part. In the third, I point out to her how she should exercise certain virtues which aim at furthering her advancement, dwelling on certain particular directions that she would not easily find elsewhere or think of on her own. 
In the fourth part, I will uncover for her certain snares used by her enemies, showing her how to avoid them and proceed on her way. And finally, in the fifth part, I exhort her to set aside time so that she might refresh herself, take a breath, and draw her strength anew, in order that she may thereafter make progress with greater success and press onward in the devout life. Ours is a capricious age, and I foresee very well that some will say that only vowed religious and people who profess devotion should give such special directions concerning piety, that it requires more leisure than a bishop could possibly have, burdened as he is with so large a diocese as mine, and that it will be too great a distraction for a mind that should be engaged in matters of importance. However, my dear reader, I say to you with the great St. Dionysius that it is most especially the task of bishops to lead souls to perfection, since their order is supreme among men, just as that of the seraphim is among the angels, such that their leisure could not be better employed than in this kind of work. The ancient bishops and fathers of the church were at least as devoted to their duties as we are today, but as is clear in their letters, that did not prevent them from taking up the care of the special direction of certain souls who wrote to them for their aid. In this, they imitated the apostles, who in the midst of laboring to harvest the whole world, nonetheless gathered some remarkable blades of wheat, doing so with a special and individual affection. Who does not know that Timothy, Titus, Onesimus, St. Thecla, and Appia were the dear children of the great St. Paul, just as St. Mark and St. Petronilla were those of St. Peter? For as Baronius and Galonius learnedly prove, St. Petronilla was not the bodily daughter of St. Peter, but only his spiritual daughter. And did not St. John too write his second letter included in the scriptural canon to the devout woman Electa? I must confess, it is difficult labor to guide individual souls, though work that brings its own reward, like that of the farmers in harvest and vintage, who are never better satisfied than when they are busiest at their task. It is a labor that refreshes and revives the heart by the sweetness it brings to those who are engaged in it, as cinnamon does in Arabia Felix to those who are laden with it. It is said that when the female tiger finds one of her cubs left on the road by a hunter in order to occupy her while she carries off the rest of her litter, she takes on this load no matter how big the cub is and does not move as if she were weighed down, but rather races along swiftly in order to put it safe in her den, her burden being lightened by her natural love for her cub. How much more willingly does a paternal heart take charge of a soul whom he has met, desiring to attain holy perfection, carrying it in his bosom, as a mother carries her little child without feeling this beloved burden? But, of course, it must be a paternal heart, and therefore the apostles and apostolic men called their disciples not only their children, but still more tenderly, their little children. For the rest, my dear reader, it is true that I write of the devout life without myself being devout, but certainly not without the desire to become so. And this desire is what gives me courage to undertake this attempt to instruct you. For as a famous learned man said, a good way to learn is to study, a better way is to hear, but the best way is to teach. It often happens, said St. Augustine, writing to his devout Florentina, that the ministry of giving makes us worthy to receive, and that of teaching lays the foundation of learning. Alexander had the beautiful Campasp, who was so dear to him, be painted by the peerless painter Apelles. Apelles, Compelled to gaze upon Campasp, imprinted upon his own heart, love for her features as he drew them, and he became so enamored with them that when Alexander discovered this fact and felt pity for him, he gave her to him in marriage, depriving himself for his sake of the woman whom he loved most in the world. 
In this, says Pliny, he showed the greatness of his soul as much as he did through a great victory in battle. Now, my reader and friend, I am of the opinion that because I am a bishop, God wills that I should paint upon the hearts of his people not only common virtues, but also his dear and well-beloved devotion. And I undertake this task willingly, not only out of obedience and my sense of duty, but also in the hope that while impressing this upon the minds of others, my own may perchance become enamored by it with a holy love, and that his divine majesty, seeing me so in love, may give himself to me in an eternal marriage. The fair and chaste Rebecca, watering Isaac's camels, was chosen to be his wife and received from him earrings and bracelets of gold. See Genesis 24, verses 20 through 22. So too, I entrust myself to the infinite goodness of my God, that in recompense for leading his dear sheep to the wholesome waters of devotion, he will make my own soul his spouse, placing into my ears the golden words of his holy love and strengthening my arms so that I may put them into practice, which is the very essence of true devotion. And I beseech his divine majesty to grant this to me and to all the children of his church, to whom I forever desire to submit my writings, deeds, words, desires, and thoughts. Francis de Sales, Ansi, Feast of St. Magdalene, 1608. This concludes our pre-launch content. One week from today, we will be launching into day one of Introduction to the Devout Life. Know of our prayers for you, and please pray for us.